Well, we feel like a slightly smaller group this evening so we can share the secret teachings. <laughs> I have a very strong impulse to want to, uh, to talk to you and to hear about you and hear what's on your mind. And, but we're, we're actually awaiting a... a handheld mic that uh, we will begin to start passing around and for those who are interested. But up till now, it's a little bit challenging to do as much dialoguing as we used to in the old days, but that is my impulse. And I guess that leads into the conversation I wanted to have tonight about the teachings and about you. <laughs> and about me, and it's something about the, the two streams of the, of the Dharma, the two emphasis of the Dharma of, of understanding what we would call relative truth or conventional truth and understanding absolute truth, the ultimate truth. And because I, because I lead this group at the end of a, often a long work day for many people, in a very busy, somewhat tortured world, anybody relate to that? I've, over the years, very much emphasized pointing to hopefully evoking a little bit, uh, remind, reminding everyone here that in the midst of, I think of Albert Camus, in the midst of winter, I realized that there was within me an invincible summer. Some way that we can use this time on Tuesday night to experience our divinity, the amazing nature of our of ourselves that's so different than that little narrative that's floating through our mind telling us what idiots we are. To touch into the essential light, love, wakefulness, intrinsic freedom that you are before you can think. Unbound, free from the very beginning. So I tried I've I try over and over to to point to what and who each of us is uh, prior to our self-idea. Because before you can think of yourself, you are still here. And you are awake. You are aware. In fact, almost the only thing we can really say about ourselves on present evidence is that we are awake. So that we are conscious or that we're seeing, or hearing, or smelling, or tasting. These are ultimate realities. The, the senses, the, the awareness, just the immediacy of our nature before all of the descriptions, and memories, and hopes, and plans, and beyond or prior to our situation in our life. We are in the most immediate way in real time we are. You could say pure awareness. We are 
Mahasati, it's called in the Pali. And to, to recognize yourself as that, to taste a little bit of that freedom, can begin to melt away a little bit the, the identification with or attachment to those misperceptions that we have about ourselves, those, those narratives that are of unworthiness, of self-criticism, of, of uh, measurements that are always getting, uh, creating a kind of tension. I, you know, I often share that poem from Rumi where he says, live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here. You have eyes that see from that nowhere, and you have eyes that judge distances, how high and how low. You own two shops and you keep running back and forth. And he says, try to close the one that's a fearful trap, always getting smaller, checkmate this, checkmate that. Keep open the one where you're not selling fish hooks anymore. You're the free swimming fish. So I try to point to that nowhere where you came from so that so that you're, you don't get as caught up in the, in, the, in the measuring mind, the comparing mind, putting ourselves above, below, or equal to, always having to see if we're okay or not. That kind of chronic checking, which is, often has a little compulsive and fearful quality. Am I measuring up? Will I get where I need to go? Our mind so much dwelling on what, what happened before and what's going to happen next, and how easily we can miss the, the, the fullness of what is always, right where we're sitting. So that's kind of where I, I, I emphasize. And that's kind of pointing to ultimate truth, the ultimate openness. But the Buddha Dharma focuses equally on those causes and conditions all the, the conditions that lead us into it's oh, a serious cough I hope you're okay all those causes and conditions that lead us to feel uh, bound and contracted and separate from the flow of life all of all of the, the, the challenges that we have in our life. That's good. And for us to put, shine a light, not just on our ultimate perfection, but to shine a light on all of the conditions in our life that, that bring us suffering. And being able to see what is it that operates in a in a very wholesome way in our life and leads to well-being and happiness, what, lead, what operates in a way that's unwholesome that leads to unhappiness. And not just to do that and to do it both moment to moment, as well as to understand in the widest possible way the streams that are running through our life that make us not just ultimately free, but relatively a unique individual with a unique, we could call it karmic predicament, a unique expression of life that has, that you, that has a certain sentientness to it, that, you, that, that in you which, that is 
was born on a certain day at a certain time and will die and has a certain kind of lifespan, has a certain kind of constitution, has a certain level of health, has a certain level of education, has a, has a stream of different ethnic, religious, racial, all the different streams that have come together to make you and to honor that the, all of the myriad karmas, all the myriad causes and conditions that brought you to be in this very moment. And that the, more, the wider your understanding of all of those streams that brought you into existence, the possibility from that is to, is to move from a, a, from a contracted, personalizing, blaming view about ourselves to this very compassionate, merciful understanding that we are all, we are all the inheritors, as the Buddha put it, you, you are the heir of your karma, of conditions that were set in motion long before you knew what was happening. Your happiness or your unhappiness up to this point depends on so many factors, not necessarily because of your will or your wish. It's not your fault. So it's important for a variety of reasons that we have the widest possible understanding of our unique individuality, that we really take ourselves as sentient beings seriously. We don't just spend all of our time trying to see through the self-illusion in the form of awakening to the ultimate truth, but find, use as one of our means of seeing through the self-illusion, one of the means of seeing through the self-illusion, seeing how deeply related we are to everything and everyone who has ever crossed our path and everything that's ever happened at all time. And so for that reason, so for, for the reason of, of appreciating each unique individual, each, the sentient part of you, the part that was born and dies and it's very unique, not the part, not the, just the part that we all share, this kind of divinity, this kind of radiance, this kind of presence, but the unique individual part that is still ultimately selfless, but is so rich and beautiful. So I want to, even though sometimes story is given a bad name in the Dharma, you say, oh, that's just my story. Because the story is only an approximation of your immediate experience. It doesn't, can never quite capture what you experience directly. But story gets a bad name. Because in your individual story is your, is your, all those causes that brought you to be. So I want to hear your story of your, like last week I spoke of being, you know, from time to time a victim of anti-Semitism when I was a kid. But my story also includes being the grandson of a, of a, a four foot nine or four foot eight Russian immigrant didn't speak a word of English, 
whose town was, was burnt by the pogroms in, in Russia. So I, that stream lives in me of this, this Russian strong presence, this, this, this little four foot nine woman, many of you know this story, she saw her mother slaving away. Her, her husband was a, like a rebbe or a rabbi. And he prayed all the time and, and her mother worked all the time. And she said, this is driving me crazy watching you work. I'm going to America and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make a lot of money <laughs> and bring you over so that you don't have to work so hard. And out of the crucible of her existence and the town being burnt, she made her way, she bribed a border guard, went across the Trans-Siberian Railway, took a peanut boat from Vladivostok, a Chinese peanut boat to the West Coast and somehow made it to the middle of America. And this little person started a little business, a furniture business, which got sold out in the, in the early 1980s, but it became the largest furniture store in the world under one roof. This was this little, and it wasn't her husband, it was her. So that stream of this dynamo woman, matriarchal family, lives in me. That may not be interesting to you. It's interesting to me. But I'm interested in whatever that version is in you. And what you have, what we have all struggled with, or what we have, and I, I have so much confidence, the more I know about you, the more you know about me, if you feel those wider streams, you're going to find less and less that you can say, that's him, that's judgeable, that's comparable. You, every person then becomes amazing in the fact that you're even here. And all that went into bringing you into being. That's also an understanding of selflessness, that not one element of us truly exists independently apart from everything that has brought us to be. That's the deathless teaching. Beginningless, endless, deathless. As Nagarjuna says, that this is the deathless teaching for Buddhas who care for the world. We, that caring for the world comes from a wide view of reality. Another thing that we tend to, in our, in our narrow view, and just having a, it's one thing to come on Tuesday night and find, it's find that, at least I, I find it when I sit here, I find that simple aware presence. It doesn't seem to belong to any, that aware presence doesn't seem to be, belong to any tradition, any religion. It's not Jewish, it's not Buddhist, it's not Hindu. It's just aware presence. It's just life. We touch into that. We strip away the, the concepts for a moment. Now, if we just understood Dharma in that immediate narrow, narrow way, then we'd have some, we, we'd get inspired maybe, maybe feel alive, feel, feel some kind of essential goodness or gladness. It's great. But what actually makes that, that experience meaningful what gives it another kind of meaning is that it's not an accident that we are coming together in this form, in this time, doing this simple practice of mindful attention and loving kindness. 
We are here dependent on very well-developed practice, practice streams of teachings. This particular group, the mainstream of practice that this simple mindful meditation that is now sweeping the world came out of, the, the massive movement of popularization of mindfulness, it was embedded in the Buddha's, in a famous sutra from the Buddha, from the Pali Canon, in the Theravada tradition, that the stream of Buddhism that runs through Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Burma, and a little bit through Vietnam. Vietnam is two streams, the stream of Zen and the stream of Theravada run through. And the Theravada teachings is based on the, the word Tara means elders. The Tara or the elders, the teaching of the elders. In other words, the teaching, the oldest, at least known teachings as expounded by the Buddha 2,600 years ago. And within those teachings arose one of the, in one of the conversations the Buddha was having, maybe not unlike sitting here, he offered a sutra and said there's this most marvelous thing that leads to, to great benefit, to great security from bondage, to the sure heart's release. What's that one thing? It is, it is cultivating mindfulness directed to the body, to feelings, to mind, and to the Dharma, to understanding the laws of nature. And if you practice this in a very continuous way, day and night, attending to every, each arising experience, that you can come to, to a deep understanding of your place in the world and a sense of freedom, a sense of peace, a sense of, of tranquility, a sense of well-being. So that Theravada stream evolved as it moved into China, it became Chan Buddhism. That Theravada, when it went to Japan, it became, it became Zen. When it went to Tibet, it became Tibetan Buddhism. When it went to Let's see, went to, to other parts of China, Chan became Pure Land School, became, you know, so it's, and it's moved to all these different schools. And then it was plopped into the middle of the U.S. And you've probably all read and heard about the tendency for cultural appropriation, where all of a sudden it becomes of course, what's beautiful about the Dharma is it's been, it's adapted to every culture it's been in. But it's very easy when a culture adopts it to lose touch with this great stream of, of this great tradition that has embedded in it a, a life, a, a style of life that, is, that one is invited to live, a monastic life, where one goes forth to devote one's entire life, not necessarily to mix practice in with one's worldly duties and activities, but to go forth and renounce the, the 
day-to-day worldly goods, to put aside any handling of money or acquisition, and to make oneself completely simple and to join the company of other people who are doing that and to, to join the Sangha. This is the, the, what's called the, the monastic Sangha. And that monastic Sangha, you, might, you could come to practice Vipassana meditation, insight meditation, you might not even know that there are monks. That there are people that are, that are, that are living in a style, not necessarily a style that I'm drawn to as my, it's, it, I don't feel like I have that, that impulse, but you may. And if it was, if you, if you just saw the simple reality of the present moment, you might not understand this, this web of connection that we have in this room with this 2,600-year-old tradition. And that can easily get lost as it gets appropriated by our, our culture. So again, we, we move from this sense of immediacy where nothing is, is bound by any concepts or names or forms, your immediate and direct experience, and the beauty of that, but also the deep beauty in feeling the connection with history, with the, with the causes and conditions that brought us to into this room. And somehow when I, when I feel myself part of that stream, when I actually reflect on the, the, those Buddhas, those awakened beings, that, those, those Sanghas, those nuns and monks, and all the people that have carried the river of Dharma, and the river of generosity through, I feel a, that I'm, I don't feel quite as kind of lost in the sea of circumstances. There's a kind of lawfulness to my life. And somehow being in this room then makes more sense. So we both look at the relative causes and conditions, the history, but all in service of, of experiencing the deepest sense of ourselves, the non-separate sense of ourselves, the selfless sense of ourselves. I brought a poem that I thought captured the individual process that one can go through in our practice to realize the, the deathless, the selflessness. And this one is, this has a, a slightly more psychological flavor, but it, it opens up into the, the deepest teaching. This is entitled, The Core, from Steve Taylor. It can take a whole lifetime to become yourself. Years of feeling adrift and alone, acting in a role you were never meant to play, stammering in a language you weren't meant to speak, wearing clothes that don't fit, trying to pass yourself off as normal, but always feeling clumsy and unnatural, like a stranger pretending to be at home, knowing that everyone can sense your strangeness and resents you because they, don't, they know you don't belong. But slowly through the years of exploration, you see landmarks that you recognize, hear vague whispers that seem to make sense 
strangely familiar words as if you had spoken them yourself, and ideas that resonate deep down as if you already knew them, and slowly your confidence grows, and you walk faster, sensing the right direction, feeling the magnetic pull of home. And now you begin to excavate, to peel away the layers of conditioning, to shed the skins of your flimsy, false self, to discard those habits and desires that you absorbed until you reach the solid rock beneath the shining, molten core of you. And now there's no more uncertainty. Your path is clear. Your course is fixed. This bedrock of your being is so firm and stable that there's no need for acceptance, no fear of exclusion or ridicule. Everything you do is right and true, deep and whole with authenticity. But don't stop. This is only the halfway point. Maybe even just the beginning. Once you've reached the core, keep exploring, but more subtly keep excavating, but more delicately, and you'll keep unearthing new layers, finding new depths until you reach the point that is no point, where the core dissolves and the solid rock melts like ice and the self loses its boundary and expands to encompass the whole. A self even stronger and truer because it's no self at all. A self you had to find so that you could lose it. I stumbled on just now on the poem from Hafez called, I Learned So Much. I've learned so much from God that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth, had, the truth has shared itself, shared so much of itself with me that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended me so completely, it, is, it has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. But freed of every concept my, our mind has ever known frees us to, to appreciate every concept and name our mind has ever known, to appreciate our our, in, our unique individuality, our humanness, our sentientness. So I'm just, again, it makes me very curious about, I want to know everybody's story. <laughs> and I know at your core, you're not, you are not describable. But at your, but your human essence is full of everything. Everything. I think that's all I have. <laughs> any of that makes sense? <laughs> anyway, if, if there has been any benefit to us 
hanging out together and sitting. Always a good idea to remember that we that we don't exist apart from everyone and everything, and so we can share the we can share the blessings of our practice, and dedicate the blessings of our practice to the welfare and benefit of of everyone. Wish that all beings have peace and the causes of peace growing and that all beings, everybody, can be free of so much sorrow and the cause of sorrow, which is ignorance, narrow-mindedness, greed, hatred, a deep wish that all beings can recognize that, that divinity, that sacred happiness that is free from sorrow, here and now, and that, that all beings can grow and abide in the great equanimity, serenity, able to, to have all these streams running through us, all the joys and the sorrows, but able to accommodate them. And finally, just the dedication of our work, our life, and our practice today and every day to all beings. May all beings awaken. May all beings appreciate their humanity. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.